0: Hey, friends, what Christian authors and writers have most influenced how you think about life with God? For me, it's Dallas Willard, Sky Jatani, and Scott McKnight. Our guest today would add Tim Keller and a host of others and advocates for learning from the wide stream of Christian history. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 335, Colin Hansen and a Library of Influences. Friends, welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm grateful that you're here, that you downloaded this episode. I don't know how you found it. You can let me know on Facebook or Twitter someplace. That'd be great. But I'm glad that you're here nevertheless. Friends, as always, uh, I'm Eric Devins. And if you want to um, help support the show, you can go to halfwaytherepodcast.com. There is a Patreon button. You can hit that. Some of you do, and I really appreciate it. It helps uh, Pay for all those things that we do as podcasters, like hosting and microphones and whatever that we that we have to do uh, in order to keep the show produced. So. Thank you for that. I'm excited for this conversation uh, because I think it's going to uh, really give us some insights that maybe we didn't have before. Our guest, he serves as the Vice President for Content and Editor-in-Chief of the Gospel Coalition, as well as Executive Director of the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics. He's got a new book. uh, It's a biography of Tim Keller uh, titled, Timothy Keller, his spiritual and intellectual formation. Of course, you guys know that uh spiritual formation is uh kind of my jam. It's the thing that will always get my attention. Just uh I'll certainly perk up. So our guest is Colin Hansen. Colin, welcome to Halfway There. Oh, thank you for having me, Eric. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that you're here. And definitely, as I said, like this, this whole idea of spiritual formation has kind of been the question. I've had forever. So when I saw that you were writing a book about the spiritual and intellectual formation of Tim Keller, I was like, that might be interesting. So that's, that's uh that'll be good. But tell us, just give you kind of the broad strokes. Tell us a little more about kind of who you are and uh, maybe where God has you right at the moment. You mentioned what I've been doing
1: here, and I've been in various capacities for the Gospel Coalition since 2010. Tim Keller is the co-founder of the Gospel mm-hmm. Coalition and longtime vice president. So um, that was how I got connected to him originally. Before that, I was in seminary, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, north of Chicago. Uh-huh. Before that, was the news editor of Christianity Today magazine, and one of the first jobs I had at a college was um, working on the Leadership Secrets of Billy Graham book. So oh, wow. uh, in some ways, kind of coming back to some of what I learned there about uh, let lessons learned from um, major church leaders and evangelists. And um, then before that, I had studied uh, European history and journalism at Northwestern University. And then before that, grew up on a farm in South Dakota, came to Christ at age 15, okay. and um, was a pretty um, oh, felt pretty dramatic in terms of a... conversion i grew up in a church going but not particularly evangelical home and so major part of my own spiritual formation
0: yeah yeah well i want to hear all those stories like where so where do you live now where are you at i
1: am in birmingham alabama i've got a wife and and three kids and um wife's on staff helping with women's ministry at a place called iron city church and uh i also am the co-chair of the advisory board and um also the Adjunct professor for apologetics at uh, Samford University Bason Divinity School, oh, yeah. which is just a few miles away from where I live in Birmingham.
0: Well, that's good. So you're kind of you're kind of you're got your hands deep in uh, evangelical culture,
1: right? Yeah, and have um, have for a long time, I
0: guess. <laughs> yeah. So I've uh, I've seen some things. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we're going to spill the tea here today, but I want to know all about you, first of all. So, uh, that's, that's what I care about. Are you from Alabama there or are you ended up a uh, farm grew up? I, I grew up
1: on is in South Dakota. So that's where my oh. parents are. It's where my extended family is my grandmothers and aunts and uncles, cousins, all sorts of folks back there in uh, southeastern South Dakota.
0: Okay. So you're not far from like Iowa.
1: My- yeah, that's right. So a lot of friends, um a lot of friends and their families coming from Northwest Iowa. Spent a long time, mm-hmm. a lot of time in Orange City, Iowa, specifically yeah, yeah. growing up.
0: Gotcha, man. I wow, I almost went to school at Northwestern in Orange there City. There you that go. Because I grew up in Des Moines, so that's not, nice. not terribly far. I visited <laughs> Drake. Washington.
1: Visited Drake for school. Yeah. Ended up choosing Northwestern Chicago, but Drake was on my list. So
0: there you go. Absolutely, yeah. it's a it's a good school. My grandparents went there. Nice. Uh, the whole thing of like Drake, the Drake games is like, yeah, the relays the, yeah, yeah, they're grew up here and all I, about them. I didn't know Eugene Peterson, like participated in those. Oh,
1: right. <laughs> that that was in
0: completely made up, but i believe you. <laughs> it was in the biography. I was like, Hey, it's my hometown. Uh, that's cool. I anyway, it. That's awesome. All right. So <laughs> fa- fascinating. So, uh, growing up in South Dakota, what was that like uh, for you? And was it a Christian family? What was it? Cause there's that's a whole different culture than where you are right now. So what was yeah. that? Like? Um,
1: so i was blessed that my my mother's family goes all the way back to the welsh revivals of the early and mid 1700s so we have been methodists for a very 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 long time and so my my ancestors on my mother's side came over from from wales in the 1840s and so between wisconsin and iowa or excuse me wisconsin nebraska and south dakota is where they where they ended up so um, that was always a big part of our family history, that Welsh identity, that Methodist heritage. But you know, over time, it more or less had gotten diluted into American Methodism as kind of mm-hmm. a generic mainline uh, denomination. So a lot of it was about community service and things like that. And so uh, to to have a revival movement come through with an emphasis on uh, the 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 experience of conversion as well as the the necessity of the affections or the heart, even though those are pretty pretty Methodist ideas, um, was still a pretty big shock to my system and was a really good thing so I would say i I was one of those kids who, in confirmation, had all the questions about dinosaurs and then i was the and then <laughs> I was the and uh, but but still was was grateful for that experience and then I was also the kid who would sit there on Christmas and say. I'm really glad that when my generation grows up, we're not going to do any of this anymore because this is stupid. Um, so there was that too. <laughs> it was a, it was yeah. a pretty big, big change. I didn't, um uh, does not have much of an inherent interest in, in religion, I would say.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, so tell us what happened. You said that at 15, you found, you found Christ. Yeah. Like I, the I think deal, the so.
1: biggest difference for me was simply, I'd never seen young people who actually loved Jesus or had cared about going to church. I just it felt like something that was so reluctant and obligatory. And um, the people who seemed to want to be there, the rest of us would silently judge or make fun of. So the but I I wouldn't have said I was a particularly happy child or had any kind of clear direction of what I was trying to do. Um, And so just seeing people who really loved Jesus and wanted to share him with me was, was so profound. And beyond that, it's kind of hard to put the experience in words, but it's been, been life, uh, life transforming and generationally transforming for sure. 1997 is when that was.
0: Okay. All right. Well, that's the year I got married. So maybe you're a um, big year. You're, you're a little, <laughs> a little younger than me. Big year. Uh, <laughs> it was a good year. The '90s were a much simpler time. Let me just say, (laughs) in a lot of ways, yes, we didn't have social uh, media.
1: The internet was that thing that you might use for a little bit, as long as you could get everybody else off the phone and crank up that old modem. Um, (laughs) That was a different time.
0: (laughs) Hundred percent. Okay. Well, so so interesting. So you found so this revival. You you found you found sort of a deep like your personal faith. Like it kind of came to. So what was so then going from there? What was sort of your discipleship experience like kind of learn? i called learning the way of jesus right so what was mm-hmm. what was that like did you have mentors were there books were there like seasons that you look back now and you go oh that was really amazing or
1: yeah i mean especially at the those early years in high school a lot of it was was leadership so a lot of it was kind of just mm-hmm. being thrust directly into um youth group leadership especially and so um I definitely had some some different youth leaders and um, who were who were influential and just good models and had some others who were not great models. But um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that the discipleship kicked in really aggressively until college. And so in college, I had the combination of being in a church with expositional preaching, uh, reform theology, just much really really in depth. And it was in a pretty highly intellectual environment. So there was a that was really stimulating there to just learn more about the Bible. And I did a did a summer project with crew as well out in Lake Tahoe and that season of just being with people, spending all my time either as a Uh, evangelizing around town, or when I wasn't doing that, being a a cashier at Kmart (laughs) and trying to memorize Bible verses during, you know, while I was working and and just all that kind of stuff. That was where things were supercharged. And then just being in an environment where Bible, theology, discipleship and evangelism, it's kind of all merged together. I guess all of that under the broader banner of discipleship was, um, that was what really set me on a, more of a ministry uh, like full-time vocational ministry mm. direction. Where did you go? Uh, for undergrad. That was yeah. uh, N- Northwestern university in Chicago.
0: Oh, 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 okay, great. All right. And then you ended up at Ted's. Yeah. So the connection there
1: to Trinity was that my campus director for crew had been there. So, um, and, and my preacher as well had been there. So Evanston's not far from Deerfield. Um, right. North side of Chicago in both cases, suburbs. So, um, that I, I mean, I look at some other places, but I probably had four or five classmates or so, or who were there at Northwestern at the same time as I would, who also went to Trinity, including my my roommate from my senior year. So it was a very, um, very familiar environment, and and mm-hmm. was was pivotal because it was it was the it was the place where I got to know Don Carson. He's the co-founder and then sure. longtime president of the Gospel Coalition, and so he hired me in the in this job when I graduated in 2010.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. That's great. 2010. Yeah. Okay. So that's so I also went to TED's for a a while. I got my undergrad at Trinity and then I went Uh, to TED's uh, for like a year and a half. Okay. Uh, I took a break, which I say was three years, two kids, and one dark night of the soul. And uh, (laughs) seminary, uh, seminary will do that
1: to you. It was tough, man. We
0: had a lot of other family things that really contributed to that. But when I went back, I really wanted something different, which is how I ended up in Denver. So I ended up finishing at Denver Seminary. But So Ted's is a place I'm familiar with. And uh, definitely, uh, man, you know, I miss the library there because our library was not as good as as that one. one. It's a good
1: library. Some of the legacy of uh, Carl Henry, I think, as a professor there. Absolutely. benefited us.
0: one time, I, I uh, did woodworking on Carl Henry's desk because my friend. Oh, nice. I don't know if you know Cody Cargus. He was uh, Dr. Osborne's. uh, uh yeah, Osborne. Yeah. So, uh, which is the second time he's come up because I was talking to somebody else who knew Grant Osborne. Anyway, today, but, uh, <laughs> that's, but that's anyway. So we he had somehow gotten gotten, uh, in the desk. And so we, we were doing woodworking on it, which is kind of wild. So when my wife tries to throw away my bookshelves, I'm like, no, 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 you can't do those. Those are holy. Those those are anointed. You can't, you can't do that. I love it. (laughs) Anyway, Anyway. All right. So you go there and so you're getting, you're really getting immersed. I mean, I know what those situations are, right? You're getting immersed in sort of the, the, the thoughts, the, the theology, the biblical interpretation of, scripture, right? Like you're, you're diving, you're diving into all that. Did you have any particularly, um, like uh, personal or experiences with God in those seasons that, that were, that were meaningful to you?
1: Uh, well, I mean, in a couple ways, one would just have been that, that theological development, what really unlocked for me and has been with me ever since is seeing Christ in the old Testament. Um, I don't think I really had much language or understanding or framework of biblical theology. I understood systematic theology, at least kind of a, a basic level, kind of a Wayne Grudem systematic theology level. Yeah. Um, but being able to, to trace out the storylines of scripture, learning that from Don Carson and Graham Cole was, was really yeah. affectionately powerful uh, for me. And, um, and I, that's, really a lot of my connections then to Tim Keller, because it was a similar dynamic for him and his own preaching. And he learned that through Ed Clowney. And so a lot of overlaps in there. But um that would I that's what I look back on and just say, that opened my eyes to scripture. And then you combine that with Carson's teaching of every detail in scripture matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing is incidental in there. Um just that close reading of the text and just being able to to see that the depth that we go into to see well this doesn 't seem to make any sense to me, but the more you study, the more you see, the more it becomes clear, and the more you can you can see God in there and so so much of my teaching, my own devotional work, especially draws on the the uh, the i mean the revelation, the book of revelation the uh, the coming of the return of christ that It just seems like whenever i'm writing whenever i'm preaching my instincts are to trace out how the story ends Mm -hmm. and um and and that being the basis of our hope the finished work of christ the kind of the the election of 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 god from the from the foundation of time the, the sacrifice the coming and the sacrifice of christ and his resurrection his intercession the spirit the helper sent for us and then the promise that christ is coming again as the lamb who's been crucified uh, and slain, but who's worthy of worship and and so that just that Genesis revelation perspective um, was really it just continues to be a, a cornerstone of my um, just my understanding and my affections for for God whenever i 'm reading scripture and a lot of that goes along with the McShane reading plan. Um, that Tim Keller and Don mm. Carson talk about a lot. You're reading four chapters of Scripture each day, um, and then you're going through the New Testament twice in a year and the Old Testament once. And when you're reading different parts of Scripture at the same time, all of a sudden your mind it just starts working of drawing connections. And for me, the connections are a way of seeing God's constancy, It's His faithfulness, it's His, it's His, um, His persistence to with His people. Through their um, their lack of faith and through their sin, and that's um, certainly been a comfort for me through many seasons of life.
0: Yeah, you mentioned a, a word that always intrigues me, um, because a, a lot of what you're talking about is very mind oriented, which is which is great and valuable. I, um, but then you said the word affections, right? Yeah, and I know this comes from like uh, Jonathan Edwards wrote about mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm curious how you how for you that works out in in terms of a holistic view of the human person, not only just your mind, but also your emotions and your heart and your, you know, and your work.
1: Yeah. And they're all, they're all unified. Right. So um, I, I would say that one of the areas that's developed for me in more or less the last 10 to 15 years has been just the influence of the rhythms and habits of life. And so as opposed to the mm. kind of the, instead of expecting a certain kind of emotional experience or dramatic change, more pursuing changes in rhythms and patterns of life and then seeing the long-term transformation that comes with that. And so often it's those, we may not necessarily desire to do something, but the simple act of doing that thing actually leads to the heart in a change. Mm -hmm. So in other words, we Mm -hmm. we don't only act when we feel like it. I think that's actually an intrusion of a romantic understanding of the self where we think oh well i'm you know I, I this must not be right if I don't feel like it, or something must be wrong with God because i don't feel his presence well I mean, yes, we sometimes feel closer and sometimes more distant uh, from him, but that's not a reflection of him. That's not a reflection of, of him. Again, he does not, he does not change. His spirit is indwells with us. We are united with Christ objectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and then the, the work of Christ interceding at the right hand of the father for us is, is affection uh, effective for us. Um, so that, I mean, that, that part's been really big for me as well. And, and Edward's view of the religious affections boils down to something that he talks about in his sermon, Divine and Supernatural Light. And it's the difference between knowing that something is true and more or less, well, believe, feeling that it's true. So the analogy he uses is somebody can tell you that honey is sweet, but it's only something that you can truly understand when you taste it for yourself. And that's always been... The way i've thought about or at least that put words to something i've always experienced which was i can sit in church and i can hear these things and somebody can tell me that jesus is lord but unless i've tasted his goodness unless in my soul i've I've experienced that for myself in in prayer and in those affections then it clearly something has not happened in terms of what Christ has told us to expect. It's clearly not the same faith that would have motivated all of these followers of Jesus to sacrifice their life. So at some level, if it's not a faith that I'm willing to lose my life over, then Hmm. it just can't be the kind of faith that's, that's in the Bible. Um, and And if it's kind of faith that fits comfortably around all the other priorities of my life, then it can't be the faith that turned the world yeah. upside down. So that's how I've been thinking about it. It's kind of a rambling answer there, but that's how yeah, I've been that's good. thinking about that. So,
0: well, that's good. So I, so I have a couple of follow-up questions to that. One is I'd love to hear a story about a time when you actually did have a experience of God in prayer or in, in, yeah. in a season. Do you have a story like that?
1: Well, I just go back to my original conversion. Um, the The amazing thing was that there was a... There was a sense that all the things that I had cared about before suddenly had a different perspective. It was almost like going from black and white to color. Um, and you know, you don't necessarily have that kind of mountaintop experience for your whole life, but I just remember that sense of the Lord's imminent presence. Um, his I mean, that certainly was the beginning in my faith life of of prayer of more or less like I'm hopeless without him. And just a constant sense that he's there, not just that he's inside a church building and he's inside a liturgy of a a church service or a sermon or something like that, but he's everywhere with me. And I can just vividly think about um, doing shot put for track and field as a sophomore in high school inside a gym, I can think of that location. And I can just think of this sense of, of lightness and of joy and of, of the of a exuberance one of the things i like to look back on in the, my conversion was there was this photo that was taken of all the different students beforehand and i just look miserable mm. i just i just look angry and yeah. it was a real kind of vivid um just physical manifestation of the change in terms of how i felt um now of course when i look back on it now it's like well i i wish it it had i wish i would stopped sinning in all these other <laughs> ways but that's of course the work of progressive sanctification but there was right, definitely right, right. a very profound immediate spiritual um transformation for me at that point
0: yeah which that's part of what I like to talk about right is that transformation and that thing the the things that happen as you go because it It isn't overnight for most people, right? When I was a kid, the story was my life was miserable. Then I met Jesus. Now my life is great, which is awesome, except for all the other things that happen in life, right? So it doesn't, it doesn't actually work that way at all. It works as a, in fact, I think a pretty well-documented journey by Christians over this millennia that we can, we can look at for most people. So that's what I'm kind of curious about. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Fascinating. So, the other question I wanted to ask, cause you, you mentioned this, like there are these seasons that people have when we feel like God is far away or when mm-hmm. God is distant or something people call it the spiritual desert or the wall. You can pick your metaphor, but have you had one of those seasons when regardless of whether it was, you know, you were the Lord where you really did question the Lord or you wondered like, is all the stuff that I believed actually is, is it true? Yeah, that that's, that's not my
1: experience, but what my experience has been is more likely an acute sense of my own sin and a just sort of a a real grief at the, at the consequences of that sin for myself and for others. And just um, a sense of helplessness of like, why does it seem like nothing works. Like I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to pray. I'm even in ministry. Why does it seem like I can't, I can't change? Um, So that's, I mean, that, that, that's, that was, especially in the last number of years, that's been a, that's been a challenge and thankfully have seen the Lord um, really help in that. But for anybody in ministry, you're always overlaying that with what's happening in terms of trying to be, A Christian leader. At the same time, one of the things that Keller says is that ministry will either make you a far better or far worse Christian, but it won't make you. It won't leave you the same. And what he means by that is that it'll either push you toward faking everything, and just because you learn that, oh wow, when I fake it, it doesn't really make a difference. Nobody seems to notice, and so, on the inside, you just you just rot. Um, mm-hmm. And so it makes you and everything you do ultimately becomes manipulative and it's terrible. Or it makes you a much better Christian because the the need to go before the throne of God to be able to, to intercede for others, to be able to lead, to make decisions, to be able to open God's word and be able to teach that to other people. Plus, it really, really puts you in the crosshairs of criticism. Uh, So people are not shy about telling you all the ways that you fall short of their expectations of you and of God. So you can become extremely bitter about that if you want, but again, then you go back to rotting from the inside and then, um, or you can just, you can be forced to your knees in humility um, Mm -hmm. and just realize that I don't have anything apart from, you know, apart from Christ. So that's the, I mean, that, that's just been, a, uh, that's overlaying those two things of my own, my own sin and the way it comes out in, in ministry, but trying to go back anyway.
0: Yeah. What, what does that look like for you? Cause I think people want to know the experience, um, you know, what, what practices can they, can they adopt that will help them, you know, through yeah. a season like that?
1: Uh, well, for me, it was therapy. Um, I'm not, that's not necessarily the case for everybody. I'm sure other people benefit from biblical counseling or some people benefit from, you know, sort of lifestyle change. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a, a big believer in, um, well, just things like cognitive behavioral therapy. In other words, just kind of, uh, helping to reorient our thoughts. Um, you can change your, change your circumstances. You can change your thoughts. There's not too many options when, when we're faced with these, with these challenges, uh but for me a lot of the benefit was just somebody who has a lot wiser understanding than i do about human development yep. and um and i it, it's it's interesting that through those processes i've been able to come to see christ and my sin much clearer in helpful ways when a lot of the other disciplines that i engaged with simply weren't, didn't seem like they were penetrating the problem. Um, mm-hmm. and so for me, it was just basically people being able to say, you're not crazy for thinking this, here's a reason, um, here's something in your past that might help to explain. And for some reason, there's a simple kind of ex- I don't know, like, um, transformative power that comes even through explanation. And a recognition that there's always a, an, 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 a dynamic interchange between the consequences of my own actions and other people's, the consequences of other people's actions against me. Mm-hmm. And I think um, a lot of what I'm familiar with is really big on the consequences of our own actions toward others, but not as well developed on other people's consequences, their actions toward us and the way that shapes us. And so I think that aspect right there was most helpful to me was understanding from the earliest ages, oh, that's why I feel this way that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So that's been a huge catalyst for me in, in spiritual um, formation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which I think is really fascinating. I, I agree with you growing up in in uh, like Des Moines and going to Chicago. Uh, I think there. There, I also did not get uh, a, a good framework for understanding how to process other people's actions,
1: right? Other people's,
0: yeah. you know, like, how do I, how does that, what does that say about me, right? So maybe if they said, treat me badly, that said something about me, right? And then that, yeah. you have to kind of adjust. Um, well, I mean, especially the stuff
1: that's been helpful for me is is stuff related to, Family systems and anxiety. Sure, um, and I don't imagine that that would be the same case for everybody. But that has been uh, one of the best. Um, I mean, just just sort of you know thinking about. Um, I mean, especially as a parent and as a leader, non-anxious presence and stuff like that, and just helping to recognize and like to understand why I feel a certain way, and even being able to recognize those emotions. I wouldn't say that that was something Mm. that I was um, particularly adept at for the first uh, nearly 40 years of my life.
0: Yeah. And that's a journey, isn't it? To kind of open up and, and, and reach that uh, part of, part of your heart. So you mentioned earlier, um, I forget exactly the phrase that you used, but something about the way that Jesus sort of enters into that, right. And into your, like, as you're, as you're connecting to that part of yourself, that his, how, how do you, how do you find him present in that?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, the imagery for for Jesus that has always stood out to me, and he reveals himself in, I mean, infinite ways. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. But for whatever reason, the, the, the sense of presence I've always had with Jesus, or at least that comes to mind, is him as a friend. I preached on this once at Beeson Divinity School, and I was thinking about... Um, I was preaching about these, the two friends of Jesus. Uh, one of them we recall as his closest friend or one of his three closest friends, and that's Peter. And the other that um, he actually refers to specifically as his friend is, of course, Judas. And the comment he says in the Garden of Gethsemane is, friend, mm-hmm. do what you've come here to do. And that just, I, I, that just penetrates friend do what you've come here to do. Um, and so that just thinking about Jesus as the, as the friend and we all have hopefully really good friends, friends who tell us the truth, friends who love us no matter what, friends who would be there even if we did the dumbest thing imaginable, something like that. But none of us has a friend like Jesus who is, Perfect in every one of those ways he knows us better than we know ourselves, he loves us in ways that no one else possibly could. He loves us in pure selflessness, but at the same time he's worthy of worship um, he knows exactly how to how to motivate us to challenge us, but also to comfort and to console us and so I think that's that's what comes back to me always is is Jesus as when I see him in the scriptures, as our as the friend to sinners, and then realize that through the Holy Spirit he remains that friend to all who are united to him today, is the the powerful way that I that I keep coming back to is Jesus as friend again. That's not all mm-hmm. that he is, but it's never less than that as our friend, that's right. um, and that um, that just means the world to me.
0: Yeah. Man, I love that, yeah, it is interesting um how we can at various times in our life there are various images of who Jesus is and right. parts i i I've, I've been using this analogy too much but i I love the idea of facets of a diamond, right where mm, yeah you know you can look at it from different angles and you're gonna see something different or maybe see a different sparkle or whatever, and sometimes we can do that with with uh with Jesus and it's like okay, he's a friend, but he's also powerful, he's also you know present he's yeah. also. Human, we can go through all those things, and uh, I hear you kind of wrestling with all that. Thank you for going there. I really appreciate that. Um, so, you, we, we talked about some of your, some of your journey. Um, I'm curious about your work at Gospel Coalition, and then how you came to because you've written several books. Like you're, you're, this is your jam, right? You're, a, you're a writer. <laughs> um, so, I want to, like, have you always been a writer? And then I want to get to the book and kind of how you how you got to write about. Uh,
1: Tim Keller well, my grandmother has been a newspaper columnist for about seventy years um, in a <laughs> nice. small town in south Dakota so um in that sense, and my grandfather was a <clears throat> lay preacher in the Methodist church as well so at some level i'm I'm in the family business uh, part of it was church and writing, the other part was farming, and I'm not any good at farming, so that's um <laughs> leaves me only one option there so So, yeah, I I think, uh, you know, when you're a kid in high school, it seems like your interests often align between who your good teacher is and what you're good at. Mm -hmm. And I had a really good teacher in English. I did not have a good teacher in history, but I was really good at both. Um, And so that it was pretty natural for me to head into journalism and then pick up a history uh, degree along the same time there. So, yeah, in one sense, I've always, always been a writer. and and heading into journalism, and I would say a lot of the journey since then, I don't know that I ever set out to write books. That wasn't necessarily a, a goal of mine. Uh, hosting a podcast was not necessarily a goal of, of <laughs> mine. I didn't really know what they were until sometime around 2003 or four or five. Uh, oh, nice. So I didn't expect to be doing a bunch of TV or radio or anything like that. I I'm just not sure um, I had any model uh, for that, uh, for for looking up. Into that, so, um, but when it came to to Tim Keller again, I've I've been editing books with him since two thousand and seven, and then working okay. with him and for him since two thousand and ten. So it's a pretty long term uh, long term relationship there.
0: Yeah. So you've you've been working with him, and you kind of knew him. what. What led to writing this book? I was really curious if it was, uh, I mean, I'm guessing, uh, he does not seem like the kind of guy who would go, hey, write a book about me. So how did yeah, that,
1: that go? Well, the, 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 the idea emerged after, um, after his diagnosis of pancreatic cancer in May of 2020. And a publisher reached out to him and pitched him a particular angle and more or less said, while you're while you're still here, um, we don't know how long that's going to be, it would be really great if we could learn directly from you about why you did what you did, why you thought what you thought, why you felt what you felt, hear it directly from you and kind of an authorized explanation of that. But it's not so much about you, it's about all these other people that you've learned from. And that's the unique dimension of Tim Keller. He does not like to talk about himself, but he really loves to talk about other people, Um, Mm -hmm. other people he's learning from. He's learned from. That starts from Jesus. He's a preacher, after all. Um, But it extends to all of these professors. And so I kind of added three layers here, sort of the the layer of his, his compiling all of his public references to different people, um, if he wrote about it in his books or preached about it, I covered it there. The second le- level then is his own, um, his own just interviews with him. Uh, what were you thinking about this or, uh, but then there's uh, just asking him directly and privately about that. The third layer is asking all the other people, his best friends, his family members, his sister and, um, that's the part that I think in this book has revealed the, the most interesting insights that you're mm. just not going to get anywhere else in there. So, so I knew that he, he would be interested in a book where he got to talk about other people. Um, I'm not sure how much he expected me to get to talk to other people about those influences and, and what they saw of those influences on him, both spiritually and intellectually and so um yeah that's sort of the way the the book came about and it's really the only kind of book that he ever would have agreed to do
0: yeah interesting so the way you put it in the this is kind of your conclusion almost um is the second to last sentence i guess future generations will honor keller better by reading his library than by quoting him mm-hmm. which i thought was really interesting It speaks to that idea of the different people that have that have um Influenced him. Why is it important for us to have? I think what we, what you're saying is we can learn from him. Like there's all these influences and to draw from a bunch of different sources. Why is that important as a spiritual practice? Well, I think um, none of us is right about everything.
1: <laughs> hey, you know, We're not. Wait uh, a minute. No. We're not Jesus. Somebody right now is wrong on the internet. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I I'm gotta gonna go fix that. Hold on, <laughs> go go do all the typing. Um, and get rid of that. Or yeah. To, so hmm. that's um, I mean, at one level, like let's imagine that somebody sets out and let's pick a C.S. Lewis, something like that. Okay. Well, if anybody was immersed in C.S. Lewis's writing and influenced by C.S. Lewis, that's Tim Keller. Um, at every level, spiritually, intellectually, everything else, that's great. Um, but Lewis is in idiosyncratic person. He's not a systematic thinker. He's not a church leader. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not the most adept at theology. We put all that together and you say, well, you can learn a ton from C.S. Lewis, but if you're going to be a preacher, you probably shouldn't learn everything you know from C.S. Lewis in there. So let's toss in Jonathan Edwards in there all right, well, there's a preacher and somebody of incredibly uncommon insight about the personality, about nature. Well, yeah, there's just this huge problem that he owned slaves. Um, Pretty darn big blind spot there. So maybe we don't follow him on that and maybe think, hmm, how did this affect his thinking there? So it doesn't mean that we sit in judgment necessarily of history as if we don't have our own problems today, but yeah. we're more likely to see those blind spots today if we're learning from a hundred people than if we're learning from two people from a specific era. In fact, the way Tim talks about it is you know, going through the Puritans who were really giants of pulling together the the spiritual with the intellectual. Uh, they could touch the, the heart while they were uh, mm-hmm. touching the head. And Tim says, well, you know, go ahead and learn from the Puritans. But the thing is, he, he says, some people enter into the Puritan forest and they never come out. Yeah, And all of a sudden they start preaching with, you know, saying, methinks, blah, 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 you know, and like they actually use this old English language. And he said, it doesn't make much sense. The, the Puritans were really good on some things. And but they had blind spots themselves and they just didn't emphasize other things that we would that we would think need to be emphasized today that we see from scripture. So that I think is why it's 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 such an important spiritual practice to learn from other people because um it helps to mitigate a lot of those blind spots that we have in our era because we can see the blind spots in their era but much better than just comparing to ourselves to one era, we compare ourselves to all eras. And test mm-hmm. everything by and, and test everything by Scripture itself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is one reason I'm a huge advocate for learning church history. Mm-hmm. Right, like it's yeah. one of the most spiritually formational uh, seasons for me. Was taking a church history class, right? Yeah, like absolutely. Uh, in fact, at Trinity, I took one. I forget the name of the professor, but um, I'm not doing well with names today. John Woodbridge,
1: okay. I'm guessing. No, Scott it wasn't Woodbridge. Manage. It was somebody else. Doug Scott, Sweeney. Who was it? Scott Manich.
0: Managed. It was managed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know. Yeah. So yeah. it's been, it's been a while. It's been like probably 20 years since I was there. So, um, uh, but yeah, it was managed. We took, uh, it was American church history and I had to do a paper on Roger Williams, oh, right? yeah. the guy Early who, Baptist. Founded, yeah, who founded, uh, um, Rhode Island. Fantastic. And like, it just changed my whole perspective of. You know, the United States at that time and right. dissent and all kinds of things and spiritual rabble rousing, you know, because he mm-hmm. was kinda like that. And it's like, oh, okay, that's cool. But it can really, really help to understand uh history and to and to draw what's good is what I hear you saying. Drawing what's good, leaving behind what's bad, understanding the blind spots that that, that they had so that we can hopefully uh evaluate our own, you know, and, and knowing that. I guess maybe we'll never quite get there. All right. So what's something else? I love that idea of, of, of multiple uh, perspectives and going into it. Was there anything that surprised you about Tim Keller as that came out as you were, um, you know, studying him and and writing this book? Well,
1: when it comes to spiritual formation, Tim Keller is a really ardent advocate of revival, and so in fact, one of the books that I did with John Woodbridge from Trinity back in 2010 was called. A God-sized vision, revival stories that stretch and stir, and it was trying to return us to that, especially first great awakening perspective of seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord's uh, special outpouring of His Spirit. That these heightened seasons of heightened spiritual sensibility and experience that is almost like a, a bit of a glimpse of heaven in there, and so. It was a surprise to me to see how important that was in Tim Keller's ministry, going back to his experience of being in a college revival through InterVarsity in Bucknell in 1970, 71, 72. Then jumping forward to see that he'd been a part of another revival in New York City, with the yuppies at the end of the 1980s, early 1990s. And then again, I would add a third one, which has been a personal one for him since his cancer. And so he's, he's been a really strong advocate of all of our life circumstances are intended by God to give us deeper experiences with him. So even if you are suffering from something as terrible as pancreatic cancer, it's an, it's an invitation from God to intimacy with him in, in prayer and with other spiritual disciplines. And, and I've seen just this palpable personal transformation in him uh, where I wouldn't have criticized him before, but now all of a sudden I can see a kind of lightness and a kind of joy and a, a hopefulness that was not mm-hmm. as evident before there. And so at a certain level, it's been um, a very unexpected, joyful surprise and, um, and blessing of working on this book
0: yeah which i think speaks to a kingdom what i would call kingdom view of the world right i mean we have this example uh, i i have, for for whatever reason keep thinking about this uh, lately of jesus in front of pilate right where he all the world all the all the worlds by any by the world's any measure of worldly success jesus seems to be completely defeated right yeah um yeah. and at the at the mercy of pilot, but he really yeah. was like, you would have no power over me if you, if you, this did not, his That's trust right. in God was bigger. And I hear you saying you're seeing something similar with, with to seeing some joy come out in, even in face of a really was a pretty terrible uh, cancer diagnosis. Well, the passage
1: I go back to all the time is John sixteen thirty three. take heart. I mean, I have overcome the world in this world. You have much tribulation, but in me you can have peace And what i think is so profound about that passage is that um it's not obvious at all in what sense jesus has overcome the world because as you said he's heading straight to the cross from there right like how in the world have you overcome but that word overcome it comes back again for john in revelation and of course that we see that the way he has overcome is precisely through his sacrifice through his substitution through his Identifying with sin as we read about in Second Corinthians five, he who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And yeah, that's that's all just I mean, it's just it's just amazing. Um and it's yeah. uh and I that's uh that idea of Jesus' sacrifice um and the cross has always been the cornerstone of Tim Keller's uh, preaching and writing ministry. It's what he kind of means by being gospel centered, the cross and resurrection, the ascension uh, in there. So, yeah, I mean, that, that stuff is, um, I think it gives us great hope no matter of our personal circumstances with pancreatic cancer or global Mm -hmm. circumstances where there's always something to be um, anxious about.
0: Yeah. I think that is the sense in which, uh, You know the gospel comes to bear upon our lives right upon the suffering that we that we have it's uh yeah we can we can trust that ultimately yes like you said he's overcome the world and going back to an earlier point that you made ultimately he wins right there's a right there, there is a there is a the ultimate perspective isn't about what we get out of this life it's about that we get him for all of eternity, right? Which is really important.
1: Yeah, well, that was something I learned, um, as Tim did from Edwards, that, um, mm-hmm. or as John Piper would say it, God is the gospel. Um, what we get is God. It's not it's not the benefits so much as we get God himself. And that's the essence of, of heaven, uh, of eternity with him. It's not so much that we get to do all these cool things, though I imagine we will get to do some pretty cool things, but point is that it's all done face to face our faith has become sight with jesus christ himself and that's that's the hope with everything it's why it's why the martyrs throughout history could always say you can kill me but all you're doing is sending me to jesus sooner right
0: that's right okay Well. With that in mind, I'm looking forward to throwing Jesus a curveball. We'll see how it goes. But, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll be good. I think you anyway. will be
1: able to sit back and crank that thing I out to left field. Do. I'm assuming Jesus is a righty. I'm not sure why. Uh, it's hard to tell. <laughs> well,
0: he was perfect. That's why. Uh,
1: <laughs> anyway. Not a crazy I'll, lefty. I love it. <laughs> uh, Con. I appreciate you
0: sharing some of your story and uh, certainly some of the uh, you know that what you've shared about Tim Keller and this book, Friends. The book is called Timothy Keller: His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. Is it out already?
1: Yes, it's available. It's,
0: it's out already. You can get it. You can get wherever you get your books. I've also got links to everything uh, that we talked about, including a couple of those books that were really good uh, that you mentioned. Um, it, you know, uh, as well. So they're all in there at happytheirpodcast.com. Um, Colin, is there anything you want to leave us with? I'm just
1: grateful for, I mean, I always love talking about Tim Keller, but I love talking about Jesus more. So I am grateful for a chance to talk so much about Jesus today. That's a special treat.
0: Yeah, thanks. Well, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, sir.